It looks like a typical chair that you would find in a like a, a woodworker's you know, workshop. I don't know. This thing comes from 19 foot sack, but it's cool. <laughs> it's ugly and it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's functional. Yeah, if they ever rate this house, it'd be the only thing they leave. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the MacBooks first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode 47 of the Zero Dev Chat podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by Kevin. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Kenny. How's it going? Good, thanks. Joined by Len. Hello, Len. How's it, everyone? And our special guest is Tariq Isaacs. Tariq, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, guys. I'm Tariq, like everyone said. How's it? How's it? So we got you on the show to talk a bit about React and its ecosystem. But before we dive into that, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do, so we everybody's got a chance to get to know you a bit. Okay. My name is Tarek. Grew up in Mitchell's Plain. I was born there. Went to school in Pinelands. Studied engineering in high school. Then I studied mechatronics at CPUT. And then I moved over to software development. And then after some messing around, I found myself... <laughs> Can, can I ask, what is mechatronics? Mechatronics is like a cross between mechanical engineering, um, computer programming, and electrical engineering. So it's that, robot stuff. That sounds like so cool. Why did you like drop out? Well, uh, it seems that the whole university thing doesn't click with me. I'm not yeah. really theoretical, so that's why. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you, you dropped out of that and then you switched to computer science, did you say? Software development at CPUD. So they didn't have computer science. Mm. And I learned a bit of Java, C++, C. Well, I knew a little bit of all of that stuff, but if you asked me to build anything at that time, I wouldn't be able to do anything. And how did that go? Very badly. <laughs> which is why, which is why, after Codex, it just completely changed my whole view on the... Okay, so, so now did you, did you finish that software development stuff? Nope. You also, you were like, bugger this, it's too much, like, and you, you ducked. And then what did you do? And then I went to start some businesses with graphic design and all those things. Okay. And even web design, but I didn't use any code. I was using, like, CMSs and, and drag-and-drop stuff. Yeah. And I always wanted to learn how to code, but I thought it was too difficult. So I just gave up. So, so the, the, so the end result of all the studying you did was that that scared you about programming. Well... Or, or they hadn't really helped you, yeah. It, misun it made me misunderstand the whole thing. And then I just threw it away. I thought it wasn't fun. Okay. But, but then, just before Codex, I started doing a bit of HTML and CSS and stuff. And then I went on to Codecademy, and that's right. when I found Codex. What's this Codex thing? It's like a code boot camp where they try and shove like a whole university curriculum into a year, right. in three months terms, except for the fact that we don't actually do any theory. We just spend time coding the whole day. So right. since it was last year that I started, so since then, uh, 16th of February to be exact, since yeah. that day, Every day since then, I've been coding. This year? So that you started this year? No, that was last year. Right, so okay. The end of last year is when I graduated, and I started working immediately because I was forward. So yeah. I went to look for stuff to do because it just became addictive after that. Oh, that is so cool. Very cool. Okay, so you, you kind of joined this Codex thing, and um, it, it just sort of the light bulb went on for you or how did that how did that happen well i started looking at things from a different perspective like the way they taught me in university was like everything on paper first i mean i remember failing an exam that i had to write on a page like i had to write some code on a page and yeah. then i must start some semicolons and like with a pen right yeah and if i miss one semicolon i get my whole function wrong yeah yeah so 
that sucked really hard. <laughs> I always thought that was kind of stupid. I agree. No, I mean, anytime someone wants to do a job interview and they want you to, to write code on a whiteboard or on paper. No, no, that's that awesome. That's very different. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. We'll agree to disagree. No, but I mean, syntax checking your code on the board for missing semicolons is daft. But, you know, like being able to write the code and get the kind of general shape of it. I think oh, yeah. you said, okay. Tariq, like, like missing the fun in it, right? <laughs> yeah. It's no fun trying to, like, write syntax-perfect code with a pen, whether it's on a whiteboard or a piece of paper, in my, in my opinion, anyway. That's true, because it can't do anything. You don't mm. have to test it or use it or run it or build it. Yeah, so it's just it's the point of saying, like, I kind of know my way around this thing. There's a for loop here, and there's, you know, there's a general shape of the piece of code. Like, that's cool. But don't try and run it off the paper. Okay, so cool, yeah? So you, you started coding at this codex thing, and uh, it was all of a sudden much more interesting to you because of the hands-on stuff? Yep, and also, in university, I kind of try to remember the words and the terminology of everything, and the difference between that time and now is that I don't, I'm a bit rusty with some of the terminology, but if you ask me what the thing does, I will be able to explain to you, mm. except I may use some silly words here and there, unless I learned the word. So that's the way I'm actually working now. So, so it's almost like now you're just having fun and getting stuff done. Yes. But while having fun, I'm learning so much. You know, when you start, this is actually the fun part for me. When I started out, it felt so overwhelming, like I had to learn all of the stuff. And then as you progress, you start learning, and then once you get something, once you actually know a, a, a topic or something, then you actually feel comfortable, but then you look at it like, oh, it was only this little. I was being overwhelmed by such a little work now that I know it. And then you look for something new. So that's kind of what happens. You learn something, uh, test it, use it, then it becomes smaller, and then you look for bigger stuff. That's how it is for me. Yeah, and the key point there is being confident, right? Yep. I actually meant to say the most, the, actually the most important thing I want to say is that the, the, the best way for me to learn or the, the thing I realized that actually makes me learn faster is not being attached to my code. So mm -hmm. if I would code something, learn something, code it, and then usually in the beginning stages, I would be attached to it. So I wouldn't want to change much. So it would be like, oh, I just learned this now, so I'm going to leave it like that, or maybe I'll use it later. And then after commenting so many, so much code out, I just realized that I'm not even going to use this again. Mm. So I started just deleting everything and coding it again. And if I made a mistake, I just throw the whole thing away. I draw a lot, so that's what I do when I draw. If I make a mistake and I don't like drawing anymore, I throw it away. So I did the same thing with code, and that really did good for me. And then when did you start doing that? Was that part of your course or you just, it was like something that you stumbled upon, as you say, from your drawing? Uh, something that I stumbled upon. Actually, most of the stuff that we learn in Codex is not really, most of the things you have to teach yourself. So the concepts and how you would use code in a business sense and how you would actually, yeah. So everything else is self-discovery. That's a pretty important discovery, man. I don't know a lot of people who've learned that. <laughs> <laughs> That's always something at the code retreats that I've noticed is when after the first exercise or the first round and the instructors go delete. Uh, people, the expressions on people's faces, they're absolutely <laughs> petrified. Uh, we, just, yeah, we just did this for 45 minutes. What do you, what do you mean we have to delete it? <laughs> so, yeah, it's like kudos <laughs> that you did that. Um, on your own because it's it's a great way to let go and for you to remember what's important and let rid you know get rid of the syntax and the rubbish around what's important i love the way you put that Tarek, where you said you, you started commenting out pieces of code and then after a while you looked at them and you thought like i'm never going to use that you know I, I had exactly that same experience and nowadays if i open up a file and there's a lot of commented out code in it like I get a kind of fright. I think like, why is this here? It must be important. And then I look at it and I realize actually it's not. And I delete the comment. <laughs> That's exactly the feeling. <laughs> the, but part of that is also that you, you're confident enough that 
you've written that code once if you need to if you really need it you could go and write it again most likely uh and in in code bases that that i've worked on generally if you've if you're using source code control the stuff is in git somewhere just delete the code if you don't need it yeah git actually saved me when i learned how to use it, it saved me so much what happened next <laughs> okay what happened next was i used what i learned at codex and i just came up with some like little crappy ideas and then i would just build it up as long as i was building full stack apps regardless of how crappy it is it had to demonstrate the full functionality of an app like maybe create read update delete persisting to a database all that kind of stuff i just did right. a lot of that and then when i was bored of that i actually went to companies there was the one the current company i'm working for they would usually come and mentor at coax like teach some of us some code and then i just sat down with the one guy and i just asked him a whole lot of questions and that led to employment basically okay that's pretty cool so you just sort of started grilling him on how things worked yeah i was actually i was looking for a job but i didn't want to take any job because of the corporate experience didn't like that very much so i actually wanted to start my own little dev shop but i knew i didn't know that i i didn't know enough to actually start or maybe i did but i wouldn't have actually put out decent work you know mm. so based on that uh, like the whole me wanting to do that and speaking to this to this guy about it he actually offered me the position because i was actually asking him how i would go about like getting clients you know and if i structured my invoices correctly and stuff like that so that's about it okay cool and then maybe let's talk a little bit about the actual work itself like the kind of programming that you started doing and the the kinds of uh, code that really interested you and and you thought cool like that is that's cool i want to do more of that and and the stacks and things that you've been exposed to and and that journey okay cool um when i started out uh, i started with javascript but then still being new i never knew what uh, like why you have different languages for the web because i'm uh, specifically focusing on web development because that's what i that's what i actually went right, to so you, yeah, yeah so you started html css and like javascript jquery kind of stuff yes and then from then on i checked out a bit of python and then i did some some hardware uh, programming hardware with python which i enjoyed and then i did a bit of ruby and then at some point i was like well i'm doing too many things i should actually narrow down on one because i feel like i'm really crappy at all of the stuff together i should actually focus on one and get better at it so then i chose javascript but then when i went into javascript i was overwhelmed with all the frameworks and like the whole ecosystem was just way too large and then i came across the es6 es2015 all of that kind of stuff using babel so i found myself that one of the first projects i worked on required me to learn react so i didn't specifically go out and choose that front end framework i just had to learn it because of using it on one of the projects and then after that after struggling with many tutorials and so many different ways of doing it when i found the way that i love doing it like the way that i can keep track of everything like if 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 something breaks here i know where to find it that's actually what got me to doing react and then from then on i just went deeper and deeper into react then i got uh, into flux because react was just like the view so initially i thought it was this big thing and then after learning it it was like oh wait this is only the view i'm not doing anything with like proper data yet and that's when i started learning flux and that and then i implemented that which i learned was which i learned at codex which is the express apis and stuff and then i just started playing with it like blocks putting different uh, using different frameworks together and then after trial and error basically i found myself very comfortable with react redux and most recently graphql so that's what i'm actually digging into at the moment 
Um, I'm super interested in how, I guess, first of all, why did you start using Flux? I mean, what, what was the part of React that was missing for you that led you to saying, hey, you know what I need? I need this thing, right? And, and what does Flux give you that made you want to use it? Well, okay, let me dig in my head now. There was something I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to make a very interactive site. Mm. Uh, let me just think. The one was an ordering app, like a simple ordering app. And then I wanted to basically adapt it to with persisting data and, and passing IDs and stuff. So I couldn't do all of that, the, that data manipulation on the state of a component or of an individual component. So I had to separate the, the state or the store and mm. to bring it out. So. Okay, so you've got this, you've got this order taking app and it's got a whole bunch of React components in it. Yes. You're trying, to, you're trying to get like, choose this one, update the basket, uh, check the next piece of the ordering process, and you're trying to coordinate the, the, the data that's underneath that? That is correct. So I needed a place to actually do all of that, and that's when I used Flux. Okay, and as far as I understand, Flux has this thing called a store, is that right? That is correct. I don't know much about Flux itself, but just very high level. And and what, what is a store in Flux? So the store usually keeps the application state. So anything that changes on the application or maybe um, the current data that's supposed to be in the current component, that's all kept in the store. And right. when you make your API calls, you make the API calls and the data ends up in the store. And then from the store, it trickles down into the component. Oh, that's cool. So Flux handles the actual, like what, REST API call and brings it back into a store for you. That is correct. Oh, that's quite sweet. Now, now what, what's the problem with, with Flux? And uh, you mentioned Redux, I think. Why did you go from Flux to Redux? So with Flux, as my application grew, it started, like the data started looking very messy. Like there was just one giant store with everything in. So, and also like, I would like to have checked when I make certain changes, I would like to see what actually happens while I'm making those changes. And then when I came across Redux, I saw that it's actually a predictable state container. So it, it keeps the, the, the state of the entire application in a store, but it's split up. So uh, you basically use actions and reduces, and that's like the action is what you're actually changing, and the reducer applies it to the to the store. So you basically every change you make gets recorded. And oh, I forgot to mention immutable. So the uh. original state of the app is always there, and you're always just uh, making a copy, changing it, making a copy, changing it, and then you can actually see as you progress through your app, what is actually happening, what data is being sent, what data is being received. And it just gave me so much more control over the application itself, splitting the data using pure components, having a functional uh, style of rendering the components. It's really, really quite cool. And I'm enjoying it that really so much. Okay, I get you. So, so in Flux, because you didn't have immutability, it was really hard to see what had changed. Oh, no, it's not because of the immutability. It's right. because in Flux, yeah. I had everything like the store and the dispatcher. It's a lot of boilerplate also. So right. I had to code the dispatcher, which is just the same thing every every single time. And there was a lot of things that Flux that I had to code out for Flux that I'm not actually using. And with Redux, it's like... I don't have to do much code. It's just the action. It's just the reducer, and then I just link the uh, the action to the component. Mm. Okay, that sounds super interesting. I mean, yeah. I, I, I've had a look at Redux, and it's a very easy to understand model. I don't think it uh, took me long at all to, to grasp the the points of how it works. I mean, of course, doing it and actually writing the code is a different story, right? <laughs> yeah. Getting a full Redux app, I think, is is Quite a big story. Now, now, one of the big differences I've seen is like in Flux, you've got say like an authentication store, and you've got it's kind of recommended that you have a lot of different stores. But Redux, the model is around having this like single object where all the state for the whole application is kept. Doesn't that make things like quite difficult? 
because you always have to kind of keep trawling around in this big object to find what you're looking for? Well, the structure of my Redux app at the moment, mm. I actually split the files up so that, here's an example, if you have users and you have a cart, then all my all the user actions would be in the user actions file. And then I would have a user reducer. So that would reduce the, the actions to the state. And then like basically I would have everything split up according to each entity. I had it the same way in Flux, except with Redux, that basically when you combine reducers, that's when it actually makes that whole big state where everything, the whole entire application state is stored. Uh, okay. So now in, in the Redux app, how do you get data back to the React views? When you define a view, okay, there's two types of components that's used with Redux. You first, firstly, you need to use um, Re React Redux. Uh, yeah, that's an NPM package. And then you have to, uh, basically you have, I just need to find the right words, container, yeah. a container component and a presentational component. In the container component is where you actually, you basically take the component, the pure component, and then you take the action and the state, and you basically map the state to props, and you map the dispatch. So the dispatch is where the reduce comes in, where you actually, yeah. So that's where you do it. In the container, you link the state and actions to the component, and the component is pure, which gets imported by the container. Okay, so it's, yeah, so it's a kind of projection from the state into the component? Yes. Where so it, it does, that's not happening. Is that happening on the reducer? That happens on the container component. So oh, right, yes, okay. You import, you import the reducer and the action into the container, mm, and then you mm. link it to the component via the container. So the okay. component is always pure. And that link is a way of kind of extracting out of the global state what the visual component needs. Yes. That's inside the container. So if you have uh, basically a component for user data, yeah. then you wouldn't you wouldn't pass in that the, the the entire state. You would only pass in the variables relating to users. Yeah, you you can go look up the keys for the users and. You yep. can also kind of normalize that data as it goes into the visual component. You've got a chance to do that. Yes, you've got a chance to do that as well. Okay, cool. And then, and then the components, like, kind of, quote, unquote, emit events. Those are the actions, right? Yes, the actions are the events. So, like, button clicks or whatever generate actions back into Redux. Yep, so if I pass the function to a component via a container, then the on-click of the button would fire the function that I passed into the component. Okay. Oh. And then it's the job of those actions to mutate the state as the user no, goes along. No, 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 the reducers. Oh, so the reducer gets the action and then force the reducers like the select reads the, the data. The it's, it's immutable. So as far as I understand, correct me if I'm wrong here, Tarek, the reducer gets the current state plus the action. And returns the new state. That is correct. Very correct. Hey. <laughs> well done. <laughs> You're going to not yeah. imagine. I'm glad you followed awesome. that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so so that, that's a very clean architecture, man. I love clean stuff. So naturally, that's why I'm doing it. <laughs> so now the only, the real question is, are you doing your CSS in JavaScript? <laughs> I don't like doing my CSS in JavaScript. It's very ugly. Yeah, you find it cleaner to just keep it as CSS. Yes. Or yeah. maybe I'll find a better way of doing it, but for now, CSS. Okay, that's interesting. And then on the actual React components, um, you've got uh, the actual CSS names and things directly there. Yeah, if I'm using a, a CSS framework, I just add the class names. Okay, cool. So I want to ask, <clears throat> what are some of the benefits of using Redux? Like, I've heard a lot about this time travel debugging, um, and I'm really curious about how that works. I haven't seen it in action yet, and I want to know if you use it and, and how awesome it really is. I think that's really awesome. Although I haven't found 
a very big need to actually use the the time travel thing but basically you can go back for every action that you did you can actually replay the actions from the beginning to see what how the state changes over time so if you're using your app and if something breaks and you carry on using it and you want to go back to that point you can just basically there's a, like a dev console a redux dev console you can just click back to the last point you want to look at and that will basically show you the entire state of the application at that point in time so that just hooks into the chrome developer tools yes there's a chrome extension as well oh, but wow. isn't that, that that time travel thing is just part of the app it just creates like a panel on the side yeah it creates like a like a panel not related to the dev console it's just a just a div yeah, yeah. just a div and it's, it just hooks into the event stream, as far as I remember. And then you've got this list of all the actions that have happened, and you can sort of say, okay, like, go back, go forward. Yep. Yeah, as soon as you've got immutability uh, involved in that, it's so useful that you can just uh, go back and forward between states. I remember Donnie's presentation at Ruby Fuso a couple of years ago, uh, where he specifically spoke about... Um, using React, well, I think he was using ClojureScript and Ohm to do the immutable part, but whatever, we can we can ignore some of those details. Uh, but that by having a chessboard was his example, and having the immutable state of the chessboard, you you can flip through any state of that board. Um, and React facilitates a lot of that using virtual DOM. And it sounds like we've now got something like Redux uh, to do that for something a bit more complex than a chessboard. I must say the immutability is fantastic. I'm really starting to love it now with uh, all the closure script work we've been doing lately. Um, so, Tariq, I wanted to ask, do you, do you use anything special to help with the immutability? Or is it just the, the way you write the code? It's just a discipline not to have side effects, but just have these pure, pure functions? Initially, I just wrote it immutable in my own way. And then I started using the immutable framework or library. Yeah, yeah. Fa- Facebook has released it's the uh, Facebook one. Yes. Yeah, immutable.js. Yeah. What are those immutable data structures implemented in JavaScript? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> they're, they're a must on any JavaScript project. You, you shouldn't. Uh, can really attack a JavaScript project without them. Be right back. I'm just going to go rewrite my code base. Good, good man. You'll also what you'll find is you'll probably reduce your code base by half. Good deleting there. Yeah. <laughs> so I think if, if, <laughs> there you go. Good reset um, hard. We were talking earlier about not being attached to your code, so just let, let me just go delete it all. <laughs> oh, if it doesn't work, you can just get reset hard. Exactly. You're having one of those nights, Kevin, where you can say things that just stun us all, man. <laughs> so, Tarek, um, if you, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Redux includes immutable or relies on immutable JS, or they're not dependent on each other. They are not dependent on each other, so you can still mutate the state if you're not careful. You can go crazy and not use immutable JS. Yeah. Or you can not use immutable JS and go crazy. <laughs> choose choose your way around, <laughs> right? <laughs> cool. And and then like how six how long have you been doing that, Derek? How long have you been using this current stack that you're busy with? Because it's a pretty modern stack. It's pretty advanced, and you seem to be just cruising and coping with these fairly complex uh, concepts? Um, React. I started React in March. This year? year. Yeah. And then I just carried on, carried on, carried on. Because I love it. Like, I understand. I don't know. Out of every framework and out of all the patterns that I've looked at, I just click with this better than the others. Dude, dude, this is like three months, man. Like, like making us look yeah, sillier. I'm busy eating some humble pie here. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're finding this like easy? This is not a a hard stack to get involved in. 
probably because I don't have any other, like if I were to learn a stack a few years ago, it would have probably been harder for me. Yeah. But because I'm fresh and I just started the stack first and I don't know, it just clicks with me. I really enjoy it. But you know what we must do? Get you back in like three years' time or something when, you know, React is like old school and we've all moved on to the new React, you know. So, Tariq, how's it going? You've been like, no, you have to use React and Redux, man. <laughs> <laughs> now you're reminding me of Steve, eh? Steve Barnett. <laughs> yeah, why is Steve like that? He still wants to do things in Perl or what? <laughs> <laughs> But it's true. I, I, you, that's a very good point. Like people learn something and they go through this like incredible learning curve, right? It's hard. And, and you get to grips with a certain framework or something. And then like you, you kind of discover that there's something easier out there or perhaps easier, but you're kind of nervous about that learning curve. People don't get to go. Maybe you've got an advantage because you, as you said, you didn't know anything. So you were just like, hey, this thing looks cool. You had a kind of open mind to it. Having beginner's mind is uh, is an amazing thing because it just means you can grasp this whole new thing like fairly quickly. I can actually tell you how that works. The first time when I learned React, I struggled. And then when I finally got one way of doing it, I was so chuffed that I was like, I finally understand this, finally understand this. And then when I had to learn something new, I was like, but I just learned this. Now I have to learn this new thing. And I couldn't let go of the previous way I was doing it. So I had no choice but to throw what I thought about that way. I had to throw it away. And then I had to start over. So I had to learn the same framework over again in a different way. So that was one of the things that I noticed. If I want to learn something new, I have to completely forget about the past or anything that I've learned before. That is super interesting. And and do you do that mainly on your own? Do you say like, I'm going to go do this on my own? like, Or, or do you do it with other people like on the course? Or mm, I do it mostly on my own. After I finished Codex, I would still be, like I would still hang around and help people and, you know, learn from people, help people, learn from people. Then after that, I just decided, okay, I'm going to learn on my own now because it's quicker that way. Uh, less people to interrupt you and confuse you. Huh? And less people to confuse and interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it flows both ways. Eh? Yeah, no, I must say, I, I must applaud you for that beginner's mindset, that throwing away what you just learned because you've got to tackle it afresh when faced with a different challenge. Kind of experiencing that in a way with this switching to the world of functional, immutable <laughs> data first programming. I think Len's seen me with some funny faces over the last two or three weeks. And it's hard eh, letting go of stuff you've, like, there's this way. It's always worked. And why can't we do it this way anymore? And it's... And how, and how much goodness has been encapsulated in Embassy LI? <laughs> I was trying not to call out anything by name. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it doesn't matter, you know. I mean, these are the tools we know. Like, you could have a PHP guy here, and he says PHP, you know, or the .NET guys, like yes. .NET or Ruby. You know, all of all of us are, um, what do you call it, in danger of falling into this pit, right? Yeah. We, we, we've now learned functional language X, and then and the next thing we're going to go around and say, hey, you know, you should learn this functional language because it's the best. <laughs> Until the next thing comes again. Well, so, Tariq, tell us a bit more. What are your plans? What are you busy building at the moment? And kind of what's next for you, man? Well, I'm still working, and I'm still working on that ordering app of mine. It's mostly a personal thing, but I'd like to take that as far as I possibly can by just making it as good as it can be for me. And if it works for me, maybe it will work for other people as well. And also, I do hope to have that dev shop that I wanted to start back then. I do still want to have that one day. Oh, that's, that's always a good aim. And it's good to keep your goals in mind. Well, and, and on the technical front, like, where do you, what do you see happening next? Have you? I already came to terms with the fact that things are changing way faster than it did a few years ago. Right. So I'm making, making sure that I actually stick to the wave and not fall off it because then it'll be very hard to catch up. <laughs> and then how are you, how do you know what the wave is and how are you sticking to the wave, man? 
Because I think that's something we're all searching for. The internet. <laughs> I'm scouring the internet. So I will always stay up to date until such time where I disconnect. Any particular places on the internet that you find uh, have the best, most juicy information? <laughs> I just Google everything. So I guess Google. I know. Another of all knowledge. Um, I wanted to ask, is there, other than the, the, the re React stuff that you're playing with at the moment, is there something else bubbling up in the React ecosystem that's like curious to you, like pulling your attention, some something shiny that we don't know about yet? Mm, it's just the GraphQL that's pulling me. And that's why I'm doing that uh, religiously for now. Uh, GraphQL, can you tell us a bit about that? I mean, I've seen some things about it. What What is GraphQL? It's like a query language that interacts with your API, but the way you actually query stuff, I find it really cool. It's like all JSON-based or close to JSON. So, hmm, maybe I should actually post a link because GraphQL has one walkthrough, one tutorial, and it's simple enough to understand. That's also something out of Facebook, right? It turns out that everything I'm doing has something to do with Facebook. They've really managed to put some amazing stuff out on the front end. You know, React, GraphQL. Is Redux also Facebook or is that, uh, is that something else? Redux was inspired by Flux. So uh, it's not directly would, related to Facebook. And, and Flux was Facebook. Yes, and okay. Flux is Facebook. But the Redux game works for Facebook. <laughs> Yes, yeah, they hide him. What's it, Dan Abramoff? Yeah, Dan so it's still Abramoff. Facebook, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's now Facebook, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they, 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 the project falls under their um, umbrella now. But yeah, it's ironic, like, how he's working um, in London in those Facebook offices. I don't think he can get to the States. There's a, I think it's on the change log where they chat to him or on the JavaScript Jabber. Uh, it's quite an interesting story as well, how he moved around, how his grandma helped him get started, and like with programming Mac uh, uh, um, VBScript in Office. And from there, like how he kind of broke out, and the next moment he did this Redux and just like became a hero to so many people. <laughs> but but going back to GraphQL, so tell us a bit about GraphQL here. Is, is it the replacement for REST? Is it a replacement for REST? Yes, I think it's a replacement for REST. You think we're not going to be writing REST APIs in the coming years, we'll be doing GraphQL? 100% certain. Well, I don't know about GraphQL specifically, but REST is kind of broken. Dead. Yeah. Okay. So motivate that statement. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what do I get, like, if I get this right? <laughs> You get a naughty badge, Lynn. Cool, cool. <laughs> Go, Tariq. <laughs> why, why do you think it's replacing REST, Tariq? I'm really interested. I mean, you've, you've come into this fairly recently, relatively speaking, and you've kind of jumped straight over the whole... Uh, I'm trying to find the word for it, but just the... School of REST. The, the REST, just that everything was, everything was RESTful. Like the... RESTful APIs are everywhere, which is already a billion times better than SOAP. Um, and SOAP doesn't even factor. But you've jumped kind of straight across that and jumped into GraphQL. Uh, probably just looked at a bit of REST here and there because there's still so much of it around. Why really do you think GraphQL is so much better than REST from a, from a fresh pair of eyes? Well, I don't know if it's going to replace REST completely because I do. I still do some REST APIs, but I find it much more joyful to actually write a GraphQL API. For some reason, it's just way more fun for me. And consuming it as well? Is it easier to consume a GraphQL API than a REST API? Hmm, I guess. I still actually have to do a bit more GraphQL to actually make a decision. Uh Maybe I can jump in there, Kevin, and, and, and earn my naughty badge. <laughs> um, I've got it here. You're going to have to come fly over here to pick it up, though. Yeah, that's schnook, man. That's schnook. <laughs> All right. Uh, so basically, the, the, the problem that you're trying to deal with is 
you, you've got these single page applications that are getting more and more complex and embedded in them is a, a, a fairly complex model, right? And what you're doing with REST APIs is you're feeding the front-end model little bit at a time. You're making a REST call, then you're figuring out which part of the front-end model to update. You're making another REST call based on where the user navigated or something, um, updating another piece of that front-end model. And you kind of rinse and repeat that whole thing. And it gets a bit, first of all, a little bit tedious, I think, as you were saying, Tariq, to just make all these little REST calls and then figure out which visual components to kind of uh, touch and, and which parts of the model to, to touch. The, the, the bigger problem is really how do I synchronize the model on the front end to the model on the back end and to keep those two things in sync. And GraphQL is one of the approaches for doing this model synchronization, if that makes any sense, Kevin. Yeah, it does, uh, because you're able to pretty much just ask the server, I want, if, if you think in Facebook's terms, you'll want um, your friends, your friends are friends, and you want the posts from friends of friends. Uh, and perhaps you want the friend's avatar and first, first and last name, but you don't care about the email address, and you can ask for all of that stuff pretty much in one go. That's right, yeah. So here I've got a user, he logs back into my website, and I want to just pick up where he left off. So like, give me everything that the user had the last time he was here, just to start off with, like to begin with. And then, you know, we'll, we'll incrementally update as things change. And is that then backed by another API? So for example, do you then does the GraphQL server then go back to other APIs or back to your database directly to go find that stuff? Uh, well, what we're seeing, really what seeing, you know, what we're using now is you've got GraphQL layers on top of existing REST infrastructure. So you've got like a GraphQL endpoint, which will receive, so if taking another step back into the front end, first thing you have is that the components on the front end, those React components, start to declare the query fragments for the data that they need. The, the front end then collects all those query fragments from the various uh, pieces that are visible and can kind of send one like composite GraphQL graph query to the back end. At the moment, like there's a kind of layer on top of the rest stuff that accepts that GraphQL um, that or set of GraphQL statements, and then can decompose them into like internal rest statements, or you could just hook that up directly to your models. Also, depending on what kind of model you've got in the back end, might just be able to execute those GraphQL fragments directly against the data store that you have there. Um, and then returns like one composite result. And because the, the main thing that GraphQL is doing is standardizing the, if you like, the protocol for the request and the response from the front end to the back end, and then the results so that the front end data store Redux or whatever understands how to unpack it and how to notify whatever visual components need updating that the underlying state has changed. Yeah, so it really does. It doesn't dictate anything of your backend data store either. So yeah, which answers the question that I really had. Uh, but it sounds really amazing. I really need to go and try this out. So, Tariq, what's that um, project that Facebook's re released? Is it called Relay.js? Relay. Yeah, I think it's called Relay. <laughs> yes, there is a yeah, Relay on Facebook. Relay. Yeah, that's the implementation. Yes. Is that just a client implementation, or do they have like a reference server side part as well? Are we talking? Are we still talking about relay? Relay, relay yes. Um, as far as I know, relay is. I haven't looked into it yet, even though that was one of the next things that I was doing. Because right now I'm using React, Redux, and GraphQL, but I don't actually need Redux if I'm using relay. So relay is like I think. I don't know. I so I'm, I'm on GitHub here, and under the GraphQL organization, there's a project here, GraphQL Relay JS. 
which is a library to help construct a GraphQL JS service supporting React Relay. That's so, the one. So React Relay is the client-side implementation that will um, hook into the GraphQL. And this thing that I'm looking at here, uh, reading the first line, this is a library to allow the easy creation of Relay-compliant servers using the GraphQL JS reference implementation of a GraphQL server. So it sounds like they actually form both sides. That's correct. So that is the that's a Node.js layer that will accept the GraphQL queries, parse them, and then allow you to hook that into whatever it is that you want to actually use to provide the data back. Sounds like the kind of thing I need to just spend some time and play with. Uh, if you, uh, it looks like there are some very good tutorials and uh, walkthroughs of these tools. So getting up to speed with it should be fairly easy. Well, it's it's quite a different way of thinking about the sort of data structure that goes into the front end. I mean, we're seeing this uh, with the work Kenneth and I are doing as well. Is it's almost like you've got a database in the front end now, but that database is almost more of a graph database than um, you know just sort of a collection of like an array of objects in JavaScript, right? Yeah, it tends to be way richer. I was kind of <laughs> moot. That was all I wanted to say. <laughs> but I must say, another thing I was secretly hoping Tariq would say is um, because he, he because he's fortunate enough to have not seen what came before REST, I was wondering if he looked at REST the same way we looked at what came before. And it's like, oh, it's tedious. We need to make all these calls and it's all this overhead and stuff. And what's all these URLs when we can just use this one endpoint? But alas. That's what I got from Restius. Unfortunately, I don't know what's... Well, I've heard the word soak, and I've seen it, but I don't know what it is. Keep, so, keep it in the kitchen uh, or the bathroom, man. Just never bring it yeah. to your computer. If I control you a little bit, can you, but you can make all your calls through one endpoint using soap. Yeah. Okay, but you dispatch the different methods. Kevin, that's, no, that's one of those pieces of knowledge you're going to have to let go of, man. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Sounds like it'll be forget useful about, for GraphQL. <laughs> yeah, forget about Savon and all these other libraries. Oh, just making it. <laughs> just, just drop it. Gladly, very gladly. Yeah, no, those were dark days. And I think, again, the, the, the stuff the dancers people had to do before SOAP even, they were probably relieved for what they agreed on. And it's always just pushing forward. I'm just so grateful that everything now seems to be pushing for simplicity which is refreshing. Yeah, you haven't had to upload a file tab-separated values over FTP using BCDIC uh, encoding and then poll for a response over FTP. Yeah, this is a modern That's... podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, I, I, I was alive in the age of Corba, guys. That, that was something. Forget it, Len. Forget it. Let go. <laughs> it's gone, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, so we need to look forward to guys like you, Trick, is going to pave the way for us for the, the fresh eyes. <laughs> we now have to put it the beginner's mindset. Thanks, man. Yeah, the, the energy you bring around the stuff is it's exciting. Yeah, I love hearing that passion. That's a, mm, yeah, and the, like, passion and, and like still good energy. It's, it's all still fun, and it's awesome. Like, uh, it's really awesome. Cool. Yeah, something, one last thing I wanted to ask from my side is Steve said you presented at the, the Cape Town Front End Developers Meetup where you gave us talk about React and, and, and Flux. Was that the first time you gave a presentation at a meetup? And how did it go? That was the first time I gave a presentation at a meetup, and it went awesome. Oh, it's a good year. I saw, according to Meetup, there's 40 people that went. Yeah, I expected to be way less people, and then... I was overwhelmed with the amount of people that was there. So I was nervous in the beginning, and then afterwards, just just thought, "What the hell?" Kudos. Uh, it's a it's a it's a different skill, tech practice, and and developing, and and it's really courageous standing up in front of people. It's not everybody's cut out to do it. I think I'm more un uncomfortable speaking over phones and devices like I am now. You don't sound uncomfortable. <laughs> Well, this is the most... Maybe I got used to it. In the beginning, I was really uncomfortable. 
that's why we have all that banter in the beginning that nobody ever gets to hear except us. Yeah. <laughs> I heard it all. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there anything else um, you want to cover? I think we, we covered quite a, 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 a amount of ground, uh, which I'm I'm happy with for one. It was great just hearing the, the story and, and Tariq's journey through this. I guess we all forget what it's like being completely new to the industry. So this is inspiring. Thanks, Kenneth. Yeah, thanks, man. That's been super interesting. Yeah, again, just love the passion and the you know the excitement that you carry with us and inspiring. I mean that you've been at this for just over a year. Cool. So should we push it off into some picks? Let's do it. Cool. Kevin, do you want to kick us off? Mm, spotlight. I'm actually kind of pickless. Oh, I actually have a pick, eh? It's it's a tutorial using the SoundCloud API, React and Redux just to load some data from an API and auth and API calls and stuff, yeah. So it's enough to actually get you going with React and Redux. So oh, that. nice. Oh, thanks. Len, any picks from your side? Uh, nothing at the moment, guys. Thanks. Kenny, if you don't mind, I'm going to hijack something you pointed out to me as uh, untapped. Yes. Yeah, so it's been super useful. Uh, just in a new country, trying to figure out what's good to drink around, uh, untapped, great app to see what other people are enjoying and saying about uh, beers. So I found a really nice beer here in London called the Honeydew. That's been quite interesting through the app. You, you just go around, it's kind of four squares specifically for beers. And apparently it does work in South Africa because Kenneth pointed it to me. So in, 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 It does, in, except when it recommends castle. <laughs> like who checks on a castle, right? But <laughs> People do. But but on uh, then. but on a serious note, you uh, if you want to find some interesting stuff, that it really helps. Now yeah, down. No, it definitely does. Yoko, and then then from my side, just kind of one. Um, the last week or so, I've dusted off my AeroPress, so we've been enjoying nicer coffee in the house, and um, that's really cool. But specifically, um, I bought this a metal disc that you can use instead of filter papers when I bought the AeroPress ages ago and I never used it until now and it actually works so well, especially if you somebody like me that likes lighter roast coffees, more fruity stuff that you kind of need the oils to be in the, in the, in the cup itself. It, it makes a hell of a difference. And I got it at, I think it's origin, but I'm sure any place or yuppie chef or take a lot to somebody that sells, uh, AeroPresses will have this. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, yeah, cool guys. And, and, Thanks a lot again, Eric. Um, this was fantastic. I really appreciate you taking the time to come spend a Monday night with us. And um, yeah, we'll see everybody next week again. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, Cheers, everyone. Guys. Awesome. Cheers. Bye bye. Thank yeah. you. Show notes for this episode can be found on zadefchat.io. As always, Ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback on this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at ZADevChat or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to the ZADevChat podcast and we'll see you next time.